Our example is in Nehemiah chapter 1. So turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. And there are guides on the tables for our outline and some discussion as we go around your tables and a little bit together. As we, and it'll include some prayer together. So we want you to feel comfortable to pray out loud as a part of that around your table. And we want you to feel comfortable to only pray silently if that's your choice, okay? Um, there's, there's great value to us together praying as well as praying individually and uh, um, for each other. And so if, if you want to give that a try, just prayer is talking to the Lord. Christ opens the way where we can just talk with the Lord. It's an amazing thing. Among all the things he did for us in, in redeeming us to be his people through, what he, through his sinless life, his substitutionary death on the cross, his resurrection, it includes that once he brings us into that relationship right with God, we can talk to God. And that's what prayer is. So there's not some kind of performance. Oh, I may not do it right. I may not say it right. We can just talk to God. If you're in Christ, feel free to take that step, speak out loud. But at the same time, if you're not ready, don't pressure somebody else to pray if they're not ready. Let them, let them pray silently. You should be comfortable with that, too. There's times where we're praying in a group, a few participate out loud, and a few are silent, even some who may be comfortable to pray out loud. So just want to get that out there. Feel comfortable in that sense to overcome the fear and pray or to wait, and maybe next time you do. All right. Nehemiah. So let's dive right into point number one there on your outline. So Nehemiah responds by going to God first. When, when he's facing some troubled times and situation, he comes, he responds by going to God. So the situation he's responding to we find in verses 1 through 3. So look, follow along as I, as I read those verses. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month Kislev in the 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So Nehemiah's brother, some other Jews come to Susa, that's the capital of the Persian Empire, that's where Nehemiah is actually a high official. He's a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. He gets this report of the homeland, of, of, the, of his fellow people, the Jews, back in Jerusalem, and it's not a good report. Great distress, great reproach. The wall's broken down, the gate's burned. It's really bad news. It's really troubling. It's not good. And just a quick recall of the situation. God had chosen... Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he changed his name to Israel. His people multiplied in Egypt, ended up in slavery. He, remember, he won them out through the plagues and, and used Moses, gave them his law. 
gave them the promised land. They disobeyed a generation later. They went into the promised land. And as time progressed, they ended up under King David and Solomon. And then the kingdom split under Rehoboam. And the northern kingdom never had a good king after that. They were exiled by the Assyrian Empire. The southern kingdom of Judah lasted longer. They had some good kings, some evil kings, but eventually, so much sin, God judged them and sent them under the Babylonian Empire, which was later taken over by Persia, which brings us to Nehemiah. And God had promised all this. Obey, blessing, disobey, curses, including the exile, and a promise to return. So that's the the background of where we are. Nehemiah gets this report. Um, There had been an earlier attempt to rebuild those walls, to restore things in Jerusalem, but surrounding peoples and leaders didn't like it, and they got King Artaxerxes to forbid it, to stop it. Fifteen years had gone by, and now we come to this to this point. So Nehemiah's people, more importantly, the capital city God had chosen to make his presence known in, is in distress. It's troubled. Things are not good. And so how does Nehemiah respond to this? So before we look at that, let's, the focus tonight is, is on application of the example. So the first question, under number one there on your sheets, and, and as we do this, if you're at a, a smaller table and want to link with another table, feel free to do a little moving like that. Looks like we may be pretty well spread, but um, just discuss, start putting answers down to the question, what are some of the concerns, the, the issues, the difficulties we face in our troubled times right now that, that, we're, that are around us and in our lives right now? So let me give you a few minutes brainstorm together, write some answers, and then we'll talk further about it, all right? Would someone share one of the the difficulties, problems, issues, concerns that your table came up with? Lack of faith. Lawlessness. Fear and isolation, okay. Acceptance of sin is just okay and commonplace. Uh, Carol, did you? Pure evil. Devaluation of life, youngest to oldest. Homelessness. Abortion. Deception. No fear of God. War on marriage and genders. Materialism. Materialism? Good. Trust in man, not God. Uncertainty. Famine of the word being preached. Yeah, a lot of, as far as our concerns, a lack of that, right, Michelle? Um, Good, great answers. Um, and there are some specifics right now of those two, right? And I think it's okay to say that. We're in the midst of an election. And, and probably we're all concerned about from electing a president to 
members of, con of the, uh, the House and the Senate, to governorships. I mean, ours isn't up here in Florida, but many places they are, and state legislators and local races and its issues on the ballots. That's, that's a concern worth praying about. That's kind of a list we're making, right? Kind of making a prayer list of concerns that we face. Um, we have a Supreme Court justice opening, right? That's something to pray about, that, that be filled well. Um, of course, COVID-19 and all that comes with it, and a lot of things that were said, I think, relate to that. Uh, the economy, the riots, the issues of religious liberty, the LBGTQ plus agenda and dealing with that, the famine of the word. Um, and the famine of the word brings other things with it, doesn't it? So you end up with errors in churches. So, I mean, there are many different areas of, of errors, but, but a couple that I think become common is either going the direction of legalism, moralism, or the direction of Anti, you know, just anti-God's law and a lack of holiness rather than sticking with the word of God, faithful to Christ and his word. Um, great, great list. So let's, let's keep looking at Nehemiah. He, in his response, still under number one, verse four. Look at verse four. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah responds to the trouble. And as Christians, we should respond. It's, it's tempting to avoid trouble, just avoid dealing with it, distract ourselves with entertainment or with worse or to just pretend it's not there, pretend it'll go away. He doesn't. He responds to it. He faces the reality and takes it to the Lord. And he's burdened by it. He has compassion about it. He, he's not in Jerusalem. So there's some of these things that we may be experiencing less than others around us, but we, you're bringing them up because you care. You, you, we have compassion because of Christ. Uh, and, and Nehemiah gives us that example. And then he goes to God first. The immediate, his immediate reaction is about going to the Lord rather than I'm going to try to fix this myself or I'm going to find someone to blame for, for this problem. He's, let's, let's take it to God. It doesn't mean he doesn't plan for being part of fixing it. We're going to find out he does. He is, when you get to chapter two and he has an opportunity to ask the king about the situation, he has everything ready to go. But he goes to God first. He prays first. And he's persistent in it. He's patient with it. We don't, we don't have time to dig into to this, but one of the things we're, we do when we study the Bible is we observe what's there. One of the things we observe is when. What's the timing of things? So here, at the beginning of the chapter, it mentions the month Kislev. Then we look in context past this, this chapter in verse 1 of chapter 2, it mentions the month Nisan. And... In our month terms, it's November, December to March, April. So at least four months, and depending on when in those months, it could be as much as five months went, go by in this time of prayer. He's persistent, and he, he's responding by going to the Lord, and he sticks with it. And it mentions he fasted and prayed. We don't have time to dive into fasting, but 
Remember, Jesus says, when you fast, and gives instructions, don't forget fasting. I sometimes forget fasting. The Lord expects there'll be times we fast, from just skipping one meal, maybe a day. If, if we ever do want to do a long fast, think medically, you know, be prepared, do it right, and maybe seek some advice on that. But um, that could be connected with our prayer, and there's many examples of that in the Bible, and that's Nehemiah's example here. All right, so number two on, on your sheet there. As Nehemiah responds by going to the Lord in prayer, he starts off recognizing God for who he is and what he does. So look at verse 5. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. So, so God is sovereign. He's awesome. He's Lord over all. In light of that, what can he do? Anything. Who else is he? He's the covenant God of Israel. He's faithful. He keeps his promises. So what can he do? Fulfill those promises. Um, and Nehemiah is going to bring specific promises to bear here about the people of God, the, the Jewish people being brought back to the promised land. And, and note that the, the meaning here in the, historically in the passage is significant because God's going to do a lot through Nehemiah to fulfill that bringing the people back. And it's significant eschatologically about end times because Christ is coming. And he's going to rule from Jerusalem in his millennial kingdom, bringing his people back, fulfilling the promises. So a, a part of this is God fulfills all of his promises. But back to, back to prayer and our application of prayer itself is he starts out worshiping God as the God who is faithful and keeps his promises before he asks God to fulfill those promises. I think that's significant for our prayer lives, that we take time to recognize God, worship God, adore God, um, singing to him, meditating on who he is. And so your second question there, under number two, or the first one under number two, take a few minutes, brainstorm. What are names of God? What are attributes of God from Scripture? What are things God does from his word and just make a list take a few minutes make a list to feed your worship of the lord in your in your prayer life so take a few minutes and, and do that now now if you would shift shift to to praying together just praises so draw from your list and maybe as you're as you're praising god you add attributes names of god just don't move into requests yet. Don't move into thanksgiving yet even. Don't move into confessing sin. Just a few minutes at your tables, pray praise to God. And I'll give you just a few minutes to do that. Whoever wants to participate out loud, everyone just silently just praising the Lord uh, at your tables, and then all with the microphone. Start praying in a minute to conclude that time. We'll keep going, but take a few minutes. Just worship adoration prayers to God. Desire tonight to worship you, to exalt you in our own prayer times to do so. Lord, remind us. Remind me when I come barging in, asking to slow down and worship. To behold you, Lord, you are God. You are almighty. 
the one and only creator, ruler, sustainer of all. You are the faithful one, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, holy and righteous, just, gracious and merciful. You're the provider of all that we need and most of all of salvation, redemption. Our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, you sent him. He is the wrath payer, satisfier for all who will believe in him. Savior, Sovereign, the truth, the way, the life, King of kings, Lord of lords, returning one day to set all things right. Where we could go on and on, we could spend the rest of our time and barely touch on your glories awesomeness of just who you are not to mention all that you have done and do we give you praise amen number three as we're looking at Nehemiah's example Nehemiah as he's praying he repents confesses sin look at verses six and seven Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night. He he uses what we call anthropomorphisms. God is spirit, so God doesn't have ears, he doesn't have uh, eyes, but he uses that language to help us understand. He's calling on God, please, please listen. And he's doing it in faith that God is listening. And will answer. And that's what he's, what he's expressing here. And then he goes into, we were midway through verse 6, into this confession. He's, he's asking on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. So Nehemiah confessed the sins of the people and he included himself. Notice those pronouns I, we, myself, my, we, we. He didn't excuse himself of that was the previous generation that had me end up here, away from our our promised land. He didn't do that. He's part of Israel. He's confessing. He's saying, our sins, Lord, what we've sinned against you. The problem he's bringing to God was their own fault, in other words. Caused by their sin, and he's confessing that to the Lord. And that's an example to follow. Part of our prayer life should be confessing our sin. Lord, forgive me for... And, and, it, and it 
it's interesting the order here in this example. He's adoring and worshiping and exalting God, and then he's confessing sins. Many, many of you are familiar with Isaiah, where God gives Isaiah this vision of the throne room of God and, and, and seeing him in his majesty, and then, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He's, he's confessing to the Lord. He's humbled. He realizes how sinful he is. And, and we, we need to do the same. Now, Nehemiah, as he's praying to the Lord and he's confessing the sins of God's people, he's not slandering, he's not gossiping, he's not... And that's just a side note to be careful of. Prayer, prayer shouldn't be a vehicle of, of gossip or slander. It's, it's between us and the Lord and our, and our private sins, but there, is, there are community, there's societal sins. And that's what Nehemiah is confessing here. And there's a place for that. When we're praying together to do that. So there's two questions here under number three. The second one is really homework. Just you personally, what, what sins do I need to confess to the Lord and, and be walking with short accounts with, with, with the Lord? And, and when I realize I've sinned, to confess it, ask God to forgive me. And Christ says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. When we're in Christ, sin will, we still struggle with our sin nature. It'll interrupt our walk with the Lord, but he's quick and ready and glad to forgive us and cleanse us. Keep those short accounts, confess those sins. But the first question, I want you to spend a little bit of time on that, on that first question there under number three. What are some of the societal and community sins for which we should repent? Us here, our American society and our church society in America. Does that make sense? So community and societal sins. No specific persons or names. You understand what I mean? Uh, so for example, we might say, Lord, forgive us for the rampant dishonesty and lack of truth in our society. But don't say, Lord, forgive John because he lies all the time. You, you see what I'm saying? Okay. So take just a few minutes, brainstorm on what, what are some of the sins we should be consciously repentant about because we're part of the society. Is that am I making sense? So take a few minutes, brainstorm on that question, and we'll, we'll keep going. Your minds are clearly flowing. I'm hearing a good buzz. Go ahead and just smoothly roll that into praying about it. If you haven't had a chance to say yours yet, pray it. If you're comfortable, pray it out loud in your table. If not, at least to the Lord silently. But pray now. Confess these things to the Lord at your table for just, just for a moment. There are so many sins we could confess. including the failure of your people, of churches, to be faithful to your word, to preach it, teach it, the whole counsel of God. So many devastating effects, Lord, forgive us that. Thank you for exceptions. Grow the exceptions. Lord, grow us to even more and more faithfully be true to your word and proclaim it and, and, and grow how many churches are doing so. Lord, for our, our society at large, so many sins. 
and just full-fledged turning against the truth you have given us in your word. Who we are in our very created makeup as male and female and in your image. Lord, the, the ugliness of not recognizing we're all in your image with racism and social uh, preferences and discriminations and Lord for the lack of truth just the lies that flow constantly and the deceptions and the hiding truth and, and Lord in so many ways most burdensome of all the rejection of life of the sanctity of life, of exalting death, of sacrificing our children, our unborn children on the altar of convenience. On the lie of autonomy. It's wicked, Lord. Blood is on the hands of our society. We, we deserve to have been destroyed years and years ago, and you've been so merciful and so kind. And we confess this sin, and we beg your forgiveness. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Number four, there on your outline. So in Nehemiah's prayer and his example, he goes on and he requests boldly that God act on his word. Look at verses 8 and 9. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. So Nehemiah here quotes from Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 30. Leviticus 26, 33, if you want to jot that down. Leviticus 26, 33, Deuteronomy 31 to 5. For time's sake, we're not going to read those, but in essence, he's quoting from where God had said through Moses, when you disobey I'm going to curse you, including exile, but also promise in, this, in the same passages, when you repent and return to me, I will restore you, including to the land. So he's, Nehemiah clearly has been meditating on the word of God, and he's quoting it back to the Lord. He'd heard God speak. He's claiming that, that promise. He's saying, God, you... This is what you say you're going to do, and I'm asking you, please do it. In other words, he's saying, Lord, let it be now. Let, let, let now be the time you, answer, you, you fulfill this promise that I see here that you gave to us. And even let me be part of your fulfilling that, your answering that. And, and James Boyce, I think, rightly points out there's an implied thanksgiving here. The word thanks, I don't think, is in this passage, but it's implied in the way he's, he's bringing out these truths from, from the Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for your promise. And it's a great example for us. The, the Word of God and prayer ideally goes together. 
And the, the connection is meditation. We meditate on the word, and that flows into our prayer life. And we pray that God would illumine us to his word, and it, and it goes both directions, and they go, they go together. And that's what we see in his example, and, and, and we should follow that in our own prayer lives and our own scripture reading and study. Let's keep, let's keep going as he's, as he's praying this in verses 10 and 11, his requests. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. No, I was the cupbearer to the king. So Nehemiah is requesting that God restore his people as he promised and that he give Nehemiah success before the king so he can lead out in making that happen. He's very specific. He's very bold to ask this, including bold for what, what he's asking to happen before the king. To king Artaxerxes is the same king who 15 years earlier said, no more rebuilding Jerusalem. And so he's going to ask, let me go rebuild Jerusalem. He's a king who, if you were sad in his presence, can have you executed just for being sad in his presence. And as you keep reading, he lets himself be sad because of the troubled times, so the king would ask him, so he would answer and say, please let this happen. He was bold, he was specific, he, he made his request known to the Lord. And he believed God would answer. And I kind of referenced this earlier, we see that in chapter 2 because he was ready to go. He had plans ready. King, I need this, I need this, I need this supply, I need this letter, I need this. He was ready to, to roll when the answer came. And I assume he was ready to be content if God said, wait, no, it's not you, it's not yet. He still would have trusted God's promise, believed God's promise, but he was ready for God to say yes. And so let's ask God to, to boldly act on his word. So under number four there, man, I got to, sorry, not, I haven't moved us along fast enough, but the, the question is, what are some scriptural promises that can guide our prayer? So take just a moment. I'm going to have to shorten these moments, sorry, a little bit. But can you think of scriptures, maybe not just exactly the word promise, but promises, true scriptures that can guide us in how do we pray about these concerns and problems? And brainstorm a few of those just for, just for a moment. See if you can come up with a few. All right, can, can a few of you shout out just some of the scriptures you thought of that help, can help guide our prayers? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Yes, love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. I heard something here. Real loud. Read that one real loud. Real loud. Amen. Some, someone back here had something. Yes, Carol. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's great. 
summarize it. Very good. Yes. So you're not. I'm with you. Back there. Is that you, Jesse? Who has the? He'll perfect the work in us. Yes. Amen. We confess he's faithful and just to forgive. I wish I could take more. But can you see how taking time to, th- to connect Scripture to the concern can guide our prayer life? So, so go to the next question. What are some specific requests we want to ask the Lord about the concerns, troubles, issues we have in light of his word? What do we ask? So just to take a couple minutes at your tables, brainstorm, what are some specific requests we can make of the Lord? Okay, now take a couple minutes and pray at your tables. Ask, ask some of these things. This will be our last, this will be our last time of prayer together. Um, so a couple minutes, pray together about some of these requests. Lord, we... <clears throat> so many... So many things in your word that can get us to ask so many specific things about so many different needs. Lord, I would join in with so many prayers around this room to ask that as you have told us, your word will not return empty, but will accomplish your purpose. And that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And ask that you would strengthen us here at Riverbend. Continue to bless Pastor Scott as he, he's so faithful to exposit your word week by week. Every other who, who fills in in the pulpit, every teacher in different classes and home groups and discipleship groups, and every, every believer here at Riverbend as we share with family and friends and neighbors your word. We pray for fruit. We pray for salvations. We pray for sanctified lives and uh, that you be glorified through it and others around us would be affected for the better most of all for salvation and sanctification. And, um, and Lord, we pray you'd multiply that in other churches. Other churches already faithful and pursuing those things, grow them as well, but those not, we pray you'd bring them to see it and to repent and to, and to come back to your word and, and to Christ and be faithful. And, and then, Lord, flowing out of that, that you would work in mighty ways in this election in bringing peace back to our country in um, protecting lives and businesses and overcoming fear with, with trust in you through Christ. And Lord, bring um, unity among your people between believers of different ethnic backgrounds and skin colors and economic statuses. And um, Lord, bring, bring people to Christ and then their lives transformed where they understand you made them male or female and to, to be glad for that and to follow you and what you have made for them and for faithfulness in marriages and marriages to become what they should be in Christ and in in pictures of Christ in the church and filled with love and glory to you and faithfulness in, in parenting. We could go on and on, but we pray that you work in mighty ways according to your word in our lives and through us to impact others. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
Well, we're out of time, but the last item there is just as you read through those verses, he keeps saying, your servants, and your servant, and your servant, and your servants. And it's clear, and then his request is clear. He's, he's not only saying, Lord, do this. He's saying, I'm available, use me to do this. It reminds me of Christ telling the disciples, the fields are wide into harvest. Pray the Lord will send workers into his harvest, and then the Lord sends them. And it's the same idea. And so as we're praying, Lord, how can you use me? So the last question is going to have to be homework as well because we're out of time, but I uh, hope this was helpful. Um, we've got a lot to pray about. Let's be faithful to pray. Thank you all. You're, you're dismissed.